0: I think we might ought to give Randy an amen, what do you say? Well done, well done. I deeply appreciate the privilege of returning to this place that has so many wonderful memories and in the company of people that I love and have loved us in the past, you will blame your pastor for my coming to the side of of the, you know, return to the side of the crime but it is a privilege, and I wish to thank Nathan. It was 2014, and a movie came out. My wife and I are not much on movies in the present day. Uh, however, our grandchildren said, Hey, Dad, you ought to go, Granddad, you ought to go see this movie. It's entitled Unbroken. Oh, so we went down to Grand Hills and saw a wonderful movie. It was about a man named Louis Zapparini, who joined the military in World War II in the Air Force, was flying in 1943 in the Pacific on a rescue mission, and a B-24 that had been used for spare parts. It had indigestion. They crashed into the sea, and unfortunately for Seventy-three days he drifted on a raft and amazingly survived, was picked up by a Japanese destroyer taken to a prison camp in Tokyo. And there he was incredibly abused by the man they called the bird, a sergeant, who seemed to set him aside as a target of his disparagement. Interesting thing happened He survived that camp and another. He survived the war, came home to his wife in California, was really on the edge of losing it. And his wife said, Louie, let's go to a Billy Graham revival. It's right here in Los Angeles. And he wasn't particularly interested. But after all, when your wife tells you time and time again, You want to get her off your case?" And so he went. And he found that he was uh, enamored by that which he saw and heard. His life wasn't together, so he went back and he met the Lord. And you may wonder if Isaiah 6 is related to Louis Zapparini. Indeed, it is, because in Isaiah chapter 6, we find that Isaiah had an encounter with God, and it changed his life. And that is the subject of this morning. So if you wish to open your Bible or see the words on the screen, we'll go back and see what this message has to say for the 21st century. And you'll be remarkably surprised how relevant These ideas are, to your next breath, as contemporary as in the morning paper. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood a seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah saw the Lord, and he saw a God, first of all, of majesty and glory. It says that he was high and lifted up. I've always had an interest in our cosmos. You and I go out when the clouds break today or tomorrow and look at night and you can see five to 6,000 stars with your natural eye. However, after Hubble went up a number of years ago, we discovered that our universe is much, much more complex and incredibly larger than ever we dreamed. When the Earth was cooling, Vita and I were in Beta University, and I was told in a class in 1952 that there are two billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, which is our galaxy with our sun and all of our planets. Well, I googled yesterday, and you'd be interested in knowing that there are 1,000 million stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And I further googled, how many galaxies are there in the known universe? And it replied from Hubble, It says there are about 125 billion galaxies in the universe, each having in the neighborhood of 100,000 million stars. And if your mind can get around that idea, you're better than most. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night uttereth knowledge. God tells us something in nature if we will but stop and listen. This is our Father's world, and may we ne'er forget that though the wrong is oft so strong, God is the ruler. Yet, how wonderful a promise we have in that! But He's not only a God of glory and majesty; He's a God of holiness. The seraphim went about saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holiness in the scripture is that which separates us as human beings from the deity that we know in God the creator and sustainer and the father of Jesus Christ our Lord. Isaiah said it well in another portion for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor my ways your ways saith the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways he's a God of holiness first Peter picks it up you recall for he who hath called you is holy so be ye holy as Jehovah the Lord is holy but there's more our God is a God who works in our universe. He's not one that's impersonal. George Buttrick said it well, history is the framework of time and space in which the mighty acts of God are made manifest. Human history is a dialogue between God and man in the language of events. You want to know what your worth and mine is? Look and see on a Syrian twilight the horizon of three crosses and on that center cross is the Son of God, that's what your worth and my worth is for he hath made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and dominion and when I think about how God worked in human history I think of telescope from 740 when Isaiah probably saw the Lord in the temple and he Tags it by letting us know it's the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah reigned for over 40 years. His glory as a king was only excelled by Solomon in the kingdom of Judah. It's understandable that he would peg it for Uzziah was very important in that time frame. But telescope further to 701 when Isaiah is an old man. And 185,000 Assyrians are camped on Mount Scopus. They're camped all around the three walls of Jerusalem. And they send an emissary to the water gate and say, will you all surrender? And the emissary, as Isaiah went and said, Our God will fight for us. And they died laughing at him. They said, that's what the the cities on the east side of the Jordan said. Their God would fight for them and they're in rubble. That's what the Egyptians said. We've conquered Egypt. That's what the Assyrians, uh, the northern kingdom said in 722. We conquered them. And you're isolated like a vineyard covered all around uh, And you recall, Isaiah went back to the king Hezekiah and said, they're laughing at our God. And Hezekiah walked into the temple and prostrated himself before the Ark of the Covenant and said, Lord, they're laughing at you. They're blaspheming you. And you recall what happened that night? Lord Byron said it so beautifully in his poem, the Assyrians swept down like a wolf to the fold, with their chariots all beaming with purple and gold and the sheen of their spears like the stars on the sea. As the blue wave rolled nightly on deep Galilee, like the leaves of the forest when summer is green, that host at, at the evening, as the leaves of the forest as summer is green, that host in their chariots, that evening was seen, like the leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown, that hosts on the morrow lay scattered and strewn, For the angel of death spread his wings in a blast and breathed in the fo- face of the folds as they passed. And there lay the fighter distorted and pale with the dew on his brow and the rust on his mail. The tents are all silent, the lances alone, the banners unlifted, the trumpets unblown, and the widows of Asher are loud in their wail, and the idols are broken in the temple of Baal. For the might of the Gentile, unsmote by the sword, hath melted like snow at the glance of the Lord. Our God is a God who works in human history. Moses said, Stand still and see the salvation of your God. And the next day they walked across as you know, the Red Sea on dry land. But our God is more. Our God is a God of grace and mercy. Many times I've heard people say in the Old Testament, he's a God of law and he's a God of war. And in the New Testament, he's a God of grace and a God of love. Think twice. It's an act of grace that God even created our cosmos. It's an act of grace that God even gave time of day to you and me. And not only that, he created us free, knowing full well that in our freedom we would rebel and because of his excessive love and grace, he tolerated that and we're here today, thanks be. Grace is all the way through the Old Testament. 12 times in the book of Judges, the people of Israel broke the covenant. And 13 times God back and renewed it through Genesis 12 to Malachi 3. They broke the covenant 19 times. And yet in the fullness of time, Jesus came. As Paul said in Galatians, He could have said, dusting his hands, you made your bed, sleep in it. But that's not the God whom we know. He is a God of grace and love. But the passage has another idea, a major proportion. Notice five in following. So I, that is, Isaiah said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Isaiah first saw the Lord, then he saw himself. You recall how Paul said in the Pauline writings of the New Testament, I am the chief of sinners? Well, you know, if Paul was the chief of sinners, you and I are in real trouble because we don't measure up to his stature. You and I never know what is wrong until we see that which is right. And so it is that God, amazingly enough, forgives in spite of you or me. You know, forgiveness only comes from God you and I cannot forgive our sins. I lived in room 202 of Brooks Hall in 1952. and about 10.30 at night, I'm typing at a typewriter, trying to finish a term theme that I knew had been due for six weeks, but you know, the last night before. Anybody here want to say amen, you did the same thing? Yeah, I know how that goes. My sweet mate was a truck. Long distance runner. And the way he kept himself when the weather was not able to run on the cinders, he would jump rope. His name was Bernie Tackett from Maha, Texas. Uh, Bernie was a great young man, fine guy, he's sweet across the way. Here, here we had two rooms and, and with a bath in between two rooms over here and he was over in this room. So he came jumping around on his jumping rope here i am trying to concentrate trying to get it done had to be due the next morning with dr lynn's class at eight o'clock and have you ever tried to think when somebody behind you is jumping rope kind of distracting so i turned to him and i said hey bernie go play in the traffic would you give me a break i'm trying to get this done dr lynn doesn't accept anything that's late if you come in five minutes late after eight o'clock, he takes it, and marks an F, and throws it in the trash can. I don't want to have that happen. So do you mind? Well, he said, Bill, spring training's coming. You're on football scholarship. You in shape? Here, get the, take this rope. Can you jump 15, 20 times, 30 times, fast as you can, then backwards, can you do it, and then you, can you do a across? I, I was aggravated. I turned to him and I said, Bernie, lay that rope down. He said, what's up? I said, well, go ahead and lay the rope down. And he strung it out. I said, now, you in good shape? He said, yes. I said, step on the rope. Take each end, pull tight, and pick yourself up. Guess what? He didn't pick himself up. We had a big laugh and he disappeared, thank the heavens. You know what? When you and I stand before the Lord, we're undone. And thanks be to God, where sin did abound, grace did superabundantly abound. He is a God of forgiveness. He's the God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. In 1 John, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it came through the cross, as you well know, for the cross is the hinge of history in which the door of forgiveness is swung wide. And all you and I have to do is come to God and ask for forgiveness, and forgiveness will be ours. But there's further in the passage. If you'll notice, Look at verse 8. Isaiah had this experience. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Interesting thing about this passage. Isaiah hears God's call and he responds. And he says... Here am I, send me. What does it take for you and me to surrender to the will of God? It takes our willingness to make him Lord and we his servants. When I was in junior high school, my mother gave me a book about the thickness of my index finger. It was Bill Borden of Yale 08. I'd never heard of Bill Borden. I began to read it. He was president of his senior class. He felt the Lord's call to Christian missions. Though he was elected the most likely to succeed and had a wonderful business offer, he went to seminary at Yale Divinity, sent to Egypt as a missionary. Ten months later, they shipped his body back in a box because there were no inoculations in those days and he didn't have the medical help that we now have. And all the people at New Haven said, what a waste. This guy had so much on the ball. Why did he just simply throw his life away? And in his diary when they brought it home was this statement, In every life there is a throne and a cross. And when you and I are on the throne of our hearts, Christ remains on the cross. Only as we put him on the throne, then alone can we take up our cross and follow him. Surrender there's a second idea in this passage have you noticed the power of one you might say well this is just one man what in all can he do well I grew up in World War II I was 10 years old when Pearl Harbor happened and I recall a few years earlier than that I walked in the front room of our house and my dad had on the radio, big Atwater Kent piece of furniture in the living room, a man was screaming. Even though I'd never heard the language like this. And I said, Daddy, who is that? He said, it's Adolf Hitler. And I said, who is he? He says, he's the dictator of Germany. And he's saying that he wants to conquer the world. The power of one. Hitler led 70 million people in the country, nation of Germany, literally to hell and destruction. And he, along with Mussolini and Hirohito and their Axis allies, cost the world 55 million lives. Turn it around. Have you heard of Oskar Schindler? Oskar Schindler joined the Nazi party in the mid-30s. He was a factory owner, an industrialist. He could find help, best of all, with the Jews in the community. And in World War II, in his factories, by bribing the authorities, he saved the life of 1,200 Jews from going to the ovens in Auschwitz and the rest. That's not funny. Ms. Sherman and I spent a day at Auschwitz in Poland years ago. It was the most depressing day of my life. The power of one. Let me tell you about a man who came to our church, Polytechnic Baptist Church, when I was in the fourth grade. His name was Dallas Alford. He came as our minister of music. He was receiving his degree at Southwestern Seminary on the other side of Fort Worth, Texas. He spent five years in our church. And by the time he left our church, let me tell you the influence that he had. My brother, Cecil Sherman, became a preacher. I accepted the call to ministry. C.A. Roberts accepted the call to ministry. Bill Talbert accepted the call to ministry. Bright Talbert, his brother, was our minister of music. C.A. Roberts and Brian and Ed Crow. About 12 or 13, Yandel Woodfin became a teacher at Southwestern Seminary. Why? Because of the power of one. If God calls you and me to do something, God can use us. I remember Vance Havner came to Baylor and preached at 7th and James while we were students there. He says, you ministerial students say, Lord, use me. He said, let me tell you, you get usable and God will wear you out. Surrender is the key. And Isaiah stepped up to the plate. He said, here am I. Send me. But then there's a fourth division in this chapter. You'll notice it, if you would, in verses 9 and following. Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. And their ears heavy shut their eyes and let them see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed then I said Lord how long and he answered until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant the houses are without a man the land is utterly desolate the Lord hath removed men far away and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land however He's speaking of what will take place, and that takes place in 587. It's not the Assyrians then. The Assyrians have been overthrown by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians come and capture Jerusalem in 587 and take the people with fishhooks in their nose, their tongues, and their ears in tandem back to Babylon. Why? Because they did not remain faithful to the covenant and to God and follow Him. But notice the last verse. Yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down so the holy seed shall be its stump. What does that mean? It means that God is going to use the people who are willing to be faithful and they, when they return. Now, what does this passage tell us? Notice, Isaiah sees God. He sees himself. He hears his call. He responds. Then he goes to his world to make a difference. You know... Our greatest need is to have an encounter with God. Augustine said it well, thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our souls are restless until we find our rest in thee. And my question for us today, have we seen God? Have we had an encounter with God? If so, are we faithful to it to the end? Ours is not a gospel of the good start alone. Ours is a gospel of beginning, running, and ending. My brother, bless his memory, left us 11 years ago, but I recall when he had leukemia as a preacher, and we talked every night, and he says, you know, Bill, I want to finish well. I want to die well. And that he did. And you and I indeed need to be continuing in our commitment and our involvement. Lou Holtz had an interesting observation. He says, a lot of churchmen are involved, but they're not committed. He says, do you know the difference between involvement and commitment? He says, it's the kamikaze pilot who flew 29 missions. He was involved, but he wasn't committed. So as we look inside our hearts, minds, and souls and see a magnificent God before us whom we know best in Jesus Christ, for the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, like unto the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth, Luke summed up his ministry in the Gospel in the book of Acts when he says, he went about doing good. If You want to know about Jesus' ministry, check the verbs. He came. He loved. He served. He healed. He preached. He taught. He forgave. That's what you and I are to be about. For indeed, the Gospel is best presented when it's incarnate within a person. I remember in my brother's church at Broadway, he was telling me that in their small, four and five year old apartment, the teacher one night said, one day said, we're going to have a story about God. And a little boy says, well, I want to have a God who's got some skin on him. And the best way for us to send an idea is in a person. And that's what God did. Christ came, and He came in order that you and I might have life. So if you're here this day, this would be your perfect opportunity to have an encounter with God. And we do it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the one who came and said, God loved the world so much that he gave the only son he had that whoever, I love that gospel song, whosoever surely meaneth me, surely meaneth me, oh, surely meaneth me. I say that because we grew up very modest. I was born in the heart of the depression My daddy walked five miles to work. Gas was nine cents a gallon in the 30s and a loaf of bread was a nickel. And if it hadn't been for our grandparents who lived on a farm, I don't know if we'd gotten through it all. But the beautiful thing about it is God comes and asks of us that we be faithful. He isn't interested in your ability or your inability, but your availability. So as we search our hearts today, and look inside our souls, He doesn't put a limit in your senior years, you're to be faithful as well as in your young adult years. And as we are, it's like the gospel song, that was sung every Sunday morning in my brother's country church up in Northeast Texas. Sweeter as the years go by. Sweeter as the years go by. You may not know that one, but it's so true. The first course I learned as a kid was every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. So this day, if you know Him not as Lord and Savior, we give you the opportunity to come and confess your faith as our pastor will be here. I've always appreciated a poem that's spoken to my heart. I'd walk life's way with an easy tread, and followed where comforts and pleasures led, until one day in a quiet place I met the Master face-to-face with face. station and rank and wealth for my gold, much thought for my body but none for my soul I'd entered to win in life's mad race when I met the master face-to-face face, I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes full of sorrow were fixed on me I bowed and knelt at his feet that day while my castles vanished and melted away Vanished and melted and in their place, nought else could I see but the Master's face. My thoughts are now for the souls of men. I've lost my life to find it again. ever since that day in a quiet place, I met the Master face to face. We pray it'll be today. May we pray? Our Father, thank you for the joy and the privilege of declaring the good news once again in a place that is so dear to our lives. We pray for this church and we pray for its members. And should there be someone here, boy or girl, adult of any age who needs to meet the master, as we sing, take my life, lead me Lord, may he or she so respond. To those of us that are here, if we're only tacitly involved, may we recommit in order to follow and find meaning meaning in our lives. For in the Christian life, we win by losing, we gain by giving, we live by dying. So may your spirit speak as we sing, Take my life, lead me, Lord and those within this meeting hall or in the television congregation, make their peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to extend God's great invitation. And if you're here and you're undone, like Isaiah, this is your opportunity to make things right with the Almighty. Our pastor will be standing at the front. It will be your opportunity. To those of you in the television congregation, if you need to make your peace with God, just close your eyes and invite Christ into your life. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We'll stand. We'll sing together. Take my life. Lead me, Lord.